developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. The most illegal thing you could do is be naked and then play Slow Ride by Fog Hat. <laughs> that was when it definitely crossed into stripping territory. <laughs> oh, we are going. going. That's right. nice. It's time. Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Lido, Matt Ben Reddy, Rich, and I are broadcasting from Show Creators Studio South here in Las Vegas. On today's show, we have part two of the great magician and comic, Harrison Greenbaum. He's currently appearing as the super hot host in the Mad Apple Show at New York, New York. Here he is, preaching love. It's Mr. Penn Gillette. Yeah! Uh, speaking of preaching love, you know, uh, I, um, I, uh, uh, my children, being another generation, or actually because I'm such an old dad, probably two generations away, um, have such a different view about uh, what they call slurs. Mm. Um, so I'm really interested more in um, in your uh, in your thesis about racial racial humor and how that worked. Uh, when were you in college? 2004 to 2008. 2004 to 2008. So um, there's been a lot of changes in that yeah. amount of time to how that stuff. I was, you know, even even in this century, there's been a lot of changes. Um, talk a little bit about that. Just talk in general about how you feel about uh, about using using slurs in a positive way. Well, so the the idea of the thesis was could humor a race based as opposed to racist humor. So sure, humor yeah. that just involved talking about race mm -hmm. could that create positive change in terms of people's bias biases and prejudices? Um, and I I analyzed humor based on three different uh, the target of the humor. Uh, the who was who was the joke teller? So the joke teller, the target, and the audience. Mm -hmm. So that that could work with any out group in group. So if we're talking about gender, it could be a male comic talking about females to a female audience, mm -hmm. or a black comic talking about white people to a white audience. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all in group out group. So it can work with. It does, it's not necessarily confined to race, but that right. was what I focused on. I know. I was. I was. I was hoping that would be true. Yeah. Um, so I looked at. I created what I called the humor function grid. Um, which is just a fancy way of taking those three variables and saying, all right, if you have a black comic talking about white people to a black audience, mm -hmm. black comic talking about a white audience, uh, to talking about white people to a white audience, is there a difference in, in terms of the strength of the effect, the direction of the effect, et cetera? And I found that most of the research was in three of the quadrants. Um, the quadrant that seemed to not really get any love was basically the in-group talking about itself to the out-group. So Chris Rock doing his black people versus N-word bit to a white audience. Mm -hmm. How does that affect that white audience? Does it make them more or less racist? Um, and we really, that was basically the study is I bribed Harvard students, white Harvard students with pizza uh, and made them listen to Chris Rock either talk about that famous bit or do just a random bit that was about uh, fat people. Mm -hmm. So unrelated to race, uh, it was just a bit about food. Uh, and then we measured them using an implicit attitude test, which is a really cool test 
Um, it's somehow come under fire under this whole CRT thing because um, people, I guess, don't understand it or don't want to understand it. Um, the implicit attitude test is really cool. Um, I did a paper-based version. The person who invented it also was at Harvard. So I had the, uh, you know, it was great because I could literally ask her questions about how to implement it. But essentially, you get two buttons on a computer um, and one button, let's call it button A and button B. And sometimes you see a picture of a black face. Sometimes you see a picture of a white face. Um, you also do it with names that are stereotypically white or black. And one button is black, one button is white. Uh, and then we also have words that are positive and words that are negative. So war is a negative word. Um, peace is a positive word. Uh, and at the beginning, we assign white and good to one button and black and bad to another button. And we, ha we just flash randomly words and names or photos. And we see what your delay is between showing you the stimulus and hitting the button because we can measure it to like milliseconds. Then we switch the button. So white, bad, black, good. And we see if that's a harder task for you. Uh, and it is, regardless of race, which is kind of scary. There's sort of a... Oh, wow. Whether you are white or black, it is a harder task when the black button is assigned to good and the white button is assigned to bad. Yeah, but that, that, that that's surprising, is it? No, it's not. It's not it's, if, if we take those colors away from race, because those colors aren't race. People well, they're, aren't they're, white and people aren't black. Right. Well, they're getting either white faces or black faces. On the on the buttons on the, on the monitor. So if right. it's a white face, they hit A. If it's a black face, they hit B. I see. And then there's good words and positive words, uh, mm -hmm. good words and bad words. Uh, I, there was a theory I think going into it that potentially it was going to be an in group out group thing. Mm -hmm. So your in group would be faster when you associate it with good. Mm -hmm. But they found with race that didn't actually work. Mm -hmm. That it was just white good, black bad was the easier one. Mm -hmm. But you can do it with anything. You could do it even with uh, your if you want to sort of look at how you have a opinion of yourself. You can do self wor words about yourself, me, I, and then words about other people, you or we, and assign the good and bad. And that differential is not an absolute measurement. It's not, if you, if you have, if you get a score of three, that doesn't mean, oh, wow, that person is racist or not racist, but it allows you to compare people. Cause if you have a score of three and somebody has a score of six, that tells you something about the way their brain works. Um, implicit attitudes don't mean you're racist necessarily. It just means th that your exposure over time, there are certain sort of certain wirings in your brain that's happening. And whether you act on it is determining whether you're racist. Mm -hmm. um, th these are implicit attitudes, things that are kind of hard to fight. Uh, and we know it's a good test because if we explain to students, this test measures racism to a degree, and we explain how it works, even though they know how it works, they can't beat it. So that in psychology, that would be considered a robust test. You mm -hmm. want a test that even if you know how it works, you can't cheat on it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a good test. Um, and we found that the white students, when exposed to the race-related humor, tended to sort of V off. So if they were in the less racist group, they got even less racist. If they were in the more racist group, they got a little bit more racist. And the working theory, obviously, we wanted if you really wanted to make this uh, you know, a graduate level PhD thesis, you have more people and more variables. But the basic gist that we we seem to have found was that when a comic like Chris Rock is making fun of his own in-group, the out-group can either take that as, see, they're the exceptions. They're not actually bad. That's the less racist group. The more racist group hears that and goes, see, I'm right. They are bad. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it worked in the sense that Chris stopped doing that bit. He found that same reaction, the same thing with Chappelle, who stopped doing the Chappelle show because he found that people were not taking it correctly. So anecdotally, Sarah, it worked. Sarah Silverman from the other side, too. 
Yeah, exactly. And so people found that that humor is really powerful at changing attitudes, but if you don't do it correctly, you actually, you can cause harm in a sense. But they're also finding that with everything. Right. I mean, if you have a, 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 a compelling story about climate change, you give it to deniers, they're more strongly denied. If you give it to um, people who are uh, correct in climate change, they go more in that direction. They're finding that, aren't they finding it with everything? Yeah, and, it, and some of the studies, and they go way back. Yeah. Um, there's actually a really funny study, because one of the oldest studies, because the, the whole part of it was the humor side of it, which is that making something a joke or humorous supercharges its persuasiveness. So the difference between just saying something to a friend or saying a joke about it, uh, and the original study was about sexism. So they either said just a sexist statement or they did a sexist joke and they wanted to see which one would make the listener sort of more sexist. But they were doing the wrong side of it. They were saying, they were doing jokes that were very sexist. I mean, like, look, it makes them more sexist. There's like, why would you want to release people in the world? Why would you do a study that like, if it works, <laughs> makes people more sexist? So that was like a weird version. And then they had all these like, the, the study lists the jokes that they told these people. So it's just a treasure trove of the worst, most sexist jokes published in this very like austere psychology journal because they wanted to see, you know, whether the actual mechanism of delivery, humor versus not, made it more effective. But you said this very clearly on race, but it's it's how you act upon it. Is right. Right. It's, it's, so you could be, you could hear a thousand sexist jokes and you could laugh at those sexist jokes, but if you don't implement that, there is not really harm. Is that correct? Yes and no. I mean, implicit attitudes don't have to be acted on, but when you're making a subconscious decision, like if you're, if you're firing a gun and you're deciding whether or not you need to fire that gun or not, whether you're safe or not, if it's easier to associate black, bad, white, good, we find in studies where you have to fire on, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a video game you're firing on not mm -hmm. real people. Um, but sometimes they're holding a gun, sometimes they're not. Uh, the black targets get killed more than the white targets, mm -hmm. whether the cop is white or black. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're making these subconscious decisions mm -hmm. really, really quickly, and they don't have time to make a more, a slower, explicit decision. Well, this is this is not directly on this subject, but it always blows my mind. I always like to bring it up that um, the ability for a police officer to recognize a gun or not a gun is almost supernatural. Did you, know right. <laughs> you know that they're really good at it, F phenomenally good, and uh, almost supernaturally good because in a fear situation, um, time slows down so much that they're finding that um, police officers make uh, calls that seem impossible mm. on recognizing that, whether they're pulling a wallet or a gun, which I was very surprised. That was exactly counter to what I thought it would be. Yeah. We, we see every story where they make the wrong call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I, well, we've talked about it before, a jurist in a trial where there, uh, two officers, two white officers were chasing a black man and the, he got around by a, bla a, a, a block wall and pulled a gun out of his pants and threw it over the wall. And they saw him do it and were there and didn't shoot him. Guy pulled a gun out of his pants and they didn't shoot him. I was like, that's, that's um, unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know how. That you stuff. Know, that would and scare only, me to death. Have, have you ever had time slow down? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, Crashed it's, a motorcycle. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's an incredible thing. When it goes to black and white and goes yeah. to tunnel. Have you ever that happen? I feel like on stage things are going at a slightly slower speed than in I, real life. The first time we did uh, uh, Letterman, which is, I mean, 
when you're talking about crisis situations this seems so <laughs> so, so cruel and so so uh but it's very high so offensive but to me although it doesn't matter to me it ma mattered that i was doing letterman and i remember sitting on the panel with him and i remember thinking I've never heard Letterman talk this slow. <laughs> he is speaking so slowly, and I can't seem to get up to the speed I should be. I'm going really slowly, and boy, there's a lack of color. <laughs> and um, I mean, it really felt like, so you guys are opening on Broadway. That was the speed Letterman was talking. I was going, this this is just so fucking weird. Why is he slowing down like that? And we finished that, and I went off stage and said, why was Letterman talking so slow? <laughs> and they said he wasn't, and you watched the video back, and it's he's talking fast, and I'm talking fast. It was such a weird thing to have that happen. And it's not that it seems to slow down. It actually does slow down. Right. The processing of your brain goes faster, so things are actually slowed down. Which is really crazy. It's and, like in uh, see, when I read Steve Martin's book the first time when he born standing up and he yeah, talks yeah. about one of the greatest brain. greatest books ever. Oh, it's amazing! I like to reread it every once in a while because you sort of my career is, is in a different point each time I read it, and so I I see it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's that part where he talks about his brain being ahead of the audience, mm -hmm. and I Matt Apple's a lot of crowd work, and it's I always feel that's that's when I know I'm in flow is my mouth is saying something and I'm three steps ahead mm -hmm. and I already know where the joke is going. And it's, yeah, it's hard to explain to people that you're completely time traveling. You're in yeah. the future and the rest of the audience is just catching up to it. And it's amazing how much, uh, uh and it, it, because, um, you had, uh, you had your acting stuff. I, I always like to bring this up with people who do a lot of stuff on stage. Have you ever been great on automatic pilot? Thinking about your laundry, thinking about where you're going to dinner, <laughs> and doing a great, great show. Because I contend that some of my best performances, I wasn't there for. Right. <laughs> and, you know, all the acting stuff tells you, be in the moment, be in the moment, be in right. the moment. I don't think that's always true. I think sometimes being a million miles away, you can do very good performances. Especially if it's in that like deep muscle memory. Like yeah. actually, sometimes it's more dangerous if I'm if you're in that sort of you've done it so many times. If you're thinking about it too much, it all of a sudden you forget jokes you've done a thousand times. Yeah, because yeah. your brain's like, "Where am I?" Because yeah. it's so used to just running through that. Yeah, and I have I, I remember when we used to be when we were doing eight shows on Broadway, and eight two hour and fifteen minute shows in a week. You're doing a lot of shows, and we yeah. were we had set up because we didn't have union problems because we owned everything. Um, we uh, we could do three shows in a day. So we did three shows on Saturday. Wow. And I would remember th that I would be on stage going, um, my mind would pop back for a second. I'd say, wow, I'm halfway through the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't even aware of it. Right. And uh, those shows can be good. And I used to be so embarrassed and guilty and denying on that stuff. But now <laughs> I've kind of accepted my mind can wander and it could be an okay show. I think that may be more true with the variety arts than it is with, uh, with, with <laughs> comedy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting too, like with magic in particular, there are times where the actual doing the trick, the slight or whatever I have to do to make the magic happens is such muscle memory, which is good. That's what makes, lets me be funny at the same right. time I'm doing magic is my, my 
subconscious brain is going to take care of all the magic stuff and I can concentrate on yeah. what's the next joke and being as funny as I can in the moment. And every once in a while, my brain forgets that I'm not a wizard. <laughs> and you look down, you're like, oh, I haven't done the thing. <laughs> this, is, this trick is not going to work. I, 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 I have to do a thing or the thing won't happen. <laughs> so you look down, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so what tricks are you doing in uh, Mad Apple? Mad Apple, I'm doing um, two of my signature pieces. I'm doing the fuck you card trick, mm -hmm. um, which is super fun to do. Um, which is sort of an anti-card trick, card trick. And then uh, the baby thing that I do as, uh, as my closer. Oh, you mean the, the picture? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's a closer? That's, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it usually it leads to a rant where I summarize everything that's happened in the show up until that mm -hmm. moment. Um, and that's been a fun challenge is figuring out how to <laughs> describe the acts in a funny, efficient way. So like we have the Icarian games who are amazing. They're, it's two guys and they one guy flips the other guy. So they're in the rant, they're... Uh, two Ethiopians kicking each other in the dick. Uh, and then we have these beautiful aerialists doing, one's doing straps and the other is doing these bridge, this bridge thing. And it's uh, two couples air fucking. Uh, and we have a hair act, a hair hang. So she, it's uh, a lady sky scalping herself. So it's been very fun coming up with the, uh, the official And then you also, you, you also do, uh, and you're doing a different stuff every night because it's a lot of clown, uh, crowd work. Yeah, it's keeping it fun for me, which is nice. And Vegas audiences have been New York audiences are great. They're very smart. They're very fast. Um, Vegas audiences are just weird. And so there's so much to work with every night. And it's the stories that come out of people when you just ask them, what do they do? Where are they from? Any of that stuff. I actually saw Harrison uh, one night and um, like literally a couple came in about 45 minutes into the show, just came and sat down like second row, like blatantly in front of everybody. And he's like, where were you guys? He's like, Oh, we smoked weed. And then one thing led to another. And then, we uh we had sex and so we're late because we were just we were just fucking and harrison got that story right out uh <laughs> from them that's a very vegas audience moment is they they're very proud of it it comes out immediately just told them every detail as to why they were late and they had no problem zero problem whatsoever that they came in 45 minutes late to sit out and watch the rest of the show <laughs> i mean it's it, and it's also just like there was a, a much older lady i mean yesterday alone there was a much older guy with a young lady i said what do you do she said i'm his nanny like which is a, a, a lot to unpack and i was like i guess a spoonful of sugar makes everything go down. <laughs> and it's just like these are comedy gifts that are just getting some guy i literally i'm doing i'm getting ready to go into the closer i ask him his name and he says highway this was last week and i was like not like highway highway like drive on a highway he's like no that's that's the name and that's how it's spelled and he revealed his tattoo which said highway and I was like, all right, do you have a younger sister named Driveway? Like they waited a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then his wife's name was Sabrina. And I'm like, man, it would have been great if it was overpass. Like these <laughs> crazy things of just, even just the names are bizarre. We believe that's his given name? That's what he claimed. <laughs> he tattooed it to double down. So you wouldn't yeah. ask about any other. It's meant to be like, stop asking me questions. I thought maybe I misheard I'm, a Spanish name like Jaime or something. <laughs> Highway. Your name he is Highway. Pulled it down a little lower and it was a tattoo of Steve with an X through it. <laughs> exactly. It's not even you a good name. You changed your name? It's not even a good name for a dog or a cat, Highway. No. 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 I named my dog uh, Rufus after George Carlin's character in... Uh, in Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to name him either George or Carlin. My fiance said no. I said, what about Rufus? She said, great. Um, but now when we walk in, now his nickname is Rufy. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So he's also a tribute to Cosby. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you got two comics in one name. Yeah, that works out well. So um, you've now lived in Vegas how long? Since May. Since May. Yeah. Now all of us uh, have gone through the culture shock <laughs> of moving to Vegas. You know, um, how Harrison you, how still you... thinks it's temporary, so you have to be careful with that. That's him. right, exactly. I still say I'm cautious. a New Yorker. By the way, move, being an, a lifelong New Yorker and then moving to Las Vegas to work at the New York, New York, a simulation of the city you just left <laughs> is a mind fuck. Yeah. Well, that's what Vegas, no matter what you do, it's always that in Vegas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot know, more gun shops. Mm-hmm. I drove by, I actually, this is, and it this sounds like a joke, but it's true. I was trying to buy a printer. Uh, and I saw a sign that said Cartridge World. And I said, great, <laughs> I'm going to buy a printer. And I pulled in and they sell ammunition. And I swear to God, the one poster in the window was a back to school special. Really? <laughs> Which feels oh. inappropriate. It does. It's like Delta having a 9-11 sale. Like you just don't, you don't do it. <laughs> uh, so that there's, there's more guns. Um, I looked at the temperature today driving over. It said 97. I said, wow, chilly. Yeah, uh, I'm getting used to those numbers. Uh, I st- I told somebody, don't worry, it's a dry heat, which definitely feels like a Las Vegas move. Yeah, yeah, it's 110, but it's dry, which does not make it better. So was Auschwitz. <laughs> that was also a dry heat. You can point that out too. Yeah, a little gassy. Uh, yeah, but not humid. True. Yeah, it d- I don't know if dry makes it better. You can be like, I treated on your wife. I treated on you. Oh, really? It was with a dry lady. <laughs> she was very dry. <laughs> Does not improve that that statement. <laughs> I don't know. I was just in Virginia, and uh, the humidity was terrible. It was. It's different than the heat. Oh yeah, it but is eighty five in New York. Falling on you, but it falls said, on you. As it's said many times before, in Vegas, it's not the heat; it's the stupidity. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's rained a lot since I've been here. That I know. Feels yeah. like, I feel like it's I was misled. <laughs> I thought there would be no. Maybe rain. There's flies. Flies. flies and bugs are out because of there's the uh, because there's a uh, water in the air. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I don't know how long this will last, but not long enough to cover up all the bodies in Lake Mead. <laughs> no, that's right. That's for sure. <laughs> Five of as of this recording. And you have a uh, you have a big uh, you have a big house here. I have I have a house, yeah. which is crazy. I have uh, my bedroom right now is larger than my whole apartment was. Sure, and it's the same amount of money. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I have a pool. I have to maintain a pool. Mm-hmm. I uh I get that it's all it's all very weird. Now is your fiance here with you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what does she do? I'm currently engaged to a girl from Nebraska, and as I say my act is a fun sentence to say because different parts of it are surprising to each of you. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a journey. You're like engaged, what? A girl? No, Nebraska, get the fuck out of here. Uh and the fun thing about Nebraska, so I'd never been to Omaha before I met Emily, and now I've been to Omaha a lot because um, her, her family's there and they're wonderful. Um, but when I got there, um, her parents are Nebraska. The stereotypes about Nebraskans being nice is absolutely true. Uh, her family is just, they're very kind. Like, I'm from a Jewish New York family. So we'll yell at each other, but that get, we get it over with. We yell and you, you, okay, we're on the same page. Good. They'll just seethe silently for years. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the Nebraska ways to just be, we're not going to bring it up. Uh, but they're 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 much kinder and like it's yeah it's we're I'm I'm from a pushy Jewish family from New York they're kind Nebraskans so there's a culture shock when you get there mm-hmm. and her parents were really trying to connect with me and they were like they're the biggest privately owned furniture store in the in the country is in Nebraska and it's run by a Jewish family and that Jewish family has donated 
to all, all over the place. Um, and so, that we'll, and we drove, uh, there's a street named after the family and the name of the lady is Rose Blumpkin. <laughs> and I'm trying not to laugh because there's no way these innocent, wonderful people know what a Blumpkin is. And now tears are streaming down my face in the back of the van because they're taking me to Blumpkin Boulevard so I could take a photo. <laughs> and we drive by, they donated a children's theater. There's a Blumpkin Children's Performing Arts oh Center. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm losing my mind. Emily's pinching me like, do not say a word. <laughs> and there really is just the Blumpkin family. They donated a section of the zoo. The Omaha Zoo is the largest zoo in America. They're very proud of that. Uh, it's the same amount of animals. They're just farther apart. It's a pain in the ass. I do not see it as an improvement. But there's a Blumpkin section of the zoo, and there's just all this Blumpkin stuff all over Omaha. And some people are none the wiser. Did, did you give you a... Now, that, now our parents are going to find out. They're lovely people. This is not the way to find out. Don't Google it. There's, uh, you know, the, now you know, understand more about Carson, right? Right, exactly. From, uh, from Nebraska, a long way across. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Long way across. If you've hitchhiked across Nebraska, which I have more really? than once, so yeah, it's a lot of corn. It's a lot of corn. It's a lot of. Uh, as a friend of mine said, "I'm in Nebraska. Imagine a piece of paper." <laughs> <laughs> right there's a white part and a whiter part. <laughs> the only place when it snows, it gets darker. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's remarkable there. But she's here with you. Yeah, she works for uh, Verizon. She works remotely, so it's uh, it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And she had, we have, I have an office now, so she doesn't have to hear me yelling on the phone or anything. We did, I, I did virtual shows from my apartment. So like, she's a, she's a <laughs> saint that she put up with all of that. <laughs> Your 500 square foot apartment. She Wait, was so in my, there while you were doing shows. She would have to be locked in the bedroom <laughs> because that was the only place she could go that wasn't on camera. Cause the camera <laughs> basically had the whole apartment in field of view. So I was doing live streaming stuff every day and she was great about, all right, I'm going to the, going to the bedroom. She watched a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty wild, and uh, yeah, that that lo that loud uh, New York family thing is so foreign to me because my parents never raised their voices. Ah, you know, it, it, I think I think Emily was taken back because I think she thought something was wrong. It's like no, no, that's just how. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always startled by it. I'm always startled by you know the the emotional family thing. Cause, that's right. Because you know when my uh, when my mom and dad were having an argument. It would be, uh, well, I don't know about that, dear. Right. <laughs> that was about as strong as you were going to get. You know, and um, you, the idea of yelling at a family member, totally foreign to me. Oh, yeah. Totally it's, foreign. It's... Although now that I have teenagers, I'm getting used to it. Right. <laughs> That's when it really picks up. Which direction? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, all of it. All of it. You, you, you kinda, you and it's like, we're, we're, a good, we're a nice, like, it's a Jewy family. One of my favorite stories about how Jewy, especially my grandparents were, my grandfather, who survived Auschwitz, I mean, really, like, went through the ringer. We have actually didn't find out till a few years ago. Because uh, my parents went, uh, my parents and sister went to Jerusalem and went to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. And the Germans, say what you will, great record keepers. <laughs> Very meticulous record keepers. Um, so you can literally like put somebody's name in and see all of the, like, the sign in sheets and the records of, you know, when they checked in and not checked in like it was a hotel. They <laughs> rung a little bell. Hello, I'm here. Um, so we looked up my grandfather and we didn't know that he had checked in with a wife and a son. So it oh, turns out shit. that my grandmother was his second wife and that his kids were kids. Cause they were, and it was weird. Cause there was always this thing of like, Oh, your grandfather, he was always so good with the 
kids, he always knew what to do. And everyone was kind of surprised about it. And it turns out he had had practice. <laughs> he had already had a son. Oh so goodness. we didn't know about any of that wow. stuff. Wow. But he uh, always maintained his faith, which I thought was partially at least a fuck you to the Nazis. of like, sure. I survived. You tried to get me to stop. And I'm not only am I not stopping, I'm going to America and I'm going to do it all the time. Um, so he had, he was in the hospital. Uh, and we were talking about this a little bit before on air about, you know, the doing the test to make sure you're conscious. Mm -hmm. And they walk over and they say, uh, Mr. Greenbaum, uh, who's the president? And he looks up and he says, Ben Lowenstein. And thank God my father was there. And he goes, that's the president of the temple. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> but he very calmly, the, the doctor said, oh God, we have to put him back. <laughs> who's the president? Ben Lowenstein. <laughs> did, did you find out any, any information about the other fam? No, we just knew, I think he was a, it was a young boy. We knew it was a, ki a, a son. Um, and that was about it. Um, and he, cause he got in when it was still, um, it, it was still, it, it, it was wasn't, still a it wasn't deal. a death camp. <laughs> it wasn't immediately a death camp. It wasn't like a murder facility at first. It was a ghetto. Then it became a, a work camp. It gradually worked its way to the big leagues. Well, uh, <laughs> like, like the U S is doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he, he got there early, which, uh, it meant he they'd been trained for a job, so he was part of the sender He would clean up the trains basically as they came in, which was good because if he found cigarettes and stuff, you could barter. Mm -hmm. So he was able to survive. But they they realized why would we kill him and then have to retrain somebody? So being there and having a job sort of kind of saved him. And he never Oof. spoke about it. He never really spoke about his stuff. We would only find out from other people who'd be like, just so you know, your grandfather saved my life or that kind of stuff. And the stories would come from other people. That's why we didn't know about the other son. And my grandmother, on the other hand, though, would be thrilled to tell you the story. We heard it countless times. <laughs> and my favorite moment of that was my uh, sister went to a fat camp. Uh, which I didn't even know was fat camp, which is called Camp Camelot. And I just thought she went to a very bad camp. Because <laughs> I would speak to her on the phone and she'd be like, the dorm is like five miles from the cafeteria. And I'm like, that sounds poorly planned. <laughs> so she came back from the fat camp and she was complaining about it. And my grandmother was there. They also couldn't hear very well. So she wasn't getting the whole conversation. But my sister was just like, this was the worst experience. And then my grandmother out of nowhere just goes, camp, I'll tell you about camp. And we're like, no, 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 we get it. You lost weight there, but different, different, not the same. But that was, that's, that's a big line in our family is camp. I'll tell you about camp. Yeah. Like touche. You went. Now your grandparents are, uh, are dead now. Yeah. Although my grandmother made it to a hundred. A hundred? A hundred years old. Boy, that's a fuck you to the Nazis. Yeah. I'll live longer than you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, she made it, and a couple of her brothers and sisters also made it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess there's, there's already been a selection process, hasn't there? Right. <laughs> it's the pushiest one. Yeah. But she was uh, she she actually hid really successfully for a long time. Uh, she didn't go get in the U.S. Yes, that's right. Into her we couldn't find her. <laughs> she literally was the punchline for a classic Jewish joke, and I wish I was making this up. But my dad, she lived very close to where we lived. Uh, my dad went to see her and she was sitting, all the lights were off. And my dad was like, what's wrong? And she said, oh, the light bulb is out. And my dad was like, I'll replace it. And she said, no, I'll just sit in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and he he lost it. It, it. I mean, she literally, so that, she had no idea that that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sit in the dark. <laughs> but she was a wonderful woman. She went from having no electricity, living in what was Czechoslovakia, to Wi-Fi, I showed her an, the first iPad. I remember showing her, and it's 
to to have a life that goes from no electricity to wireless internet. Yeah, my 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 mom went from horse and buggy to man on the moon. It's insane. I mean, she uh, and 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 every single metric, uh, every single prediction says we will see more. Right. Uh, it's, it's exponential growth. Yeah, because everybody um, is amazing that all the science fiction writers, they all saw colonization of planets, but with with the possible exception of Isaac Asimov, kind of sort of. Um, no one saw the internet. Right. No one saw that that kind of connection mm-hmm. happening. There's a great comic in New York, Dan Natterman, who has the best joke on that, which is Star Trek. If it was really realistic, you never see Patrick Stewart go, let me Google that. <laughs> <laughs> they never ask for information. The other guy's like, uh, you know what? I'm going to be back. I, let me check my phone. <laughs> None of that ever happens. Yeah, the idea, the idea that they didn't even, they, that wasn't even considered, that interconnectedness. And, uh, you know, all the information in the world in your pocket. And nobody uses it. We're somehow all dumber for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like there was, like, you used to not know stuff, which was kind of cool. Like, you would say, like, oh, when was Abraham Lincoln assassinated? And, and your mom would be like, I don't know. And then you would just, like, not know together. Because <laughs> we're not going to the library to look that up. And then there was that, like, wireless internet comes along. And be like, when was he assassinated? You know, when was he assassinated? And you know the date right away. And now we're at the point where, when was Abraham Lincoln assassinated? And your friend looks on his phone. And he's like, I think it was lizard people controlled by Jews. <laughs> <laughs> so we're way on the other side now. We have too much information. None of it's right. <laughs> but lizard people controlled by Jews is now the answer to everything. Absolutely. <laughs> if, according to Reddit and 4chan, I am sure. <laughs> Hey guys, sorry I got to interrupt this episode. It's Matt, and I'm talking to you about Stamps.com. You heard me. You know it. You love it. They've been sponsoring the show forever. That's because we love them, and we welcome them back with open arms. We use this product. We love Stamps.com. Penn Sunday School sends out postcards every month. Or you buy stuff from the Penn and Teller organization. And of course, I have stuff uh, with uh, Hay Scoops. Everything goes out to everyone all over the world through our organization's through Stamps.com. That's just it. Postage rates have just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you literally can't find anywhere, like up to 84% off USPS or UPS. 84%, that seems crazy. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you the cheapest and fastest shipping options. And I find that to be remarkably true and super helpful, especially with international shipping. I really like it. So set your business up for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PEN and get the special bonus office that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code P-E-N-N. That's right. Stamps.com, enter code PEN. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes 
Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Yeah, the uh, the idea that people are actually, um, uh, that there there is nothing you can parody or exaggerate anymore is, is pretty, well, that was, pretty I, remarkable. I remember pitching Matt on, we need to have a better website. <laughs> and it was hard because Warner Brothers controlled it. And there's like AOL Time Warner. There's all these corporate stuff over Matt. And they all had to approve things. Um, and so I remember pitching like, you guys need to have a, a website. Like this needs to be online. Um, and they wanted it desperately, but I think the company saw it as a magazine business where you guys stick with that. And they would once in a while give them like the ability to post something on a blog. At but, one point, and I guess it was probably, must have been right about the turn of the century, um, Mad put everything out on a- On CDs. On CDs, yeah. And we used them as interns. And which, we, uh, which, which I bought, of course, right away. Oh, it, it was the best. It was, and we literally, I, it was 2005 that I was an intern. So we were pretty much past CDs. We we're all mm-hmm. pretty close to past CDs. It was DVD-ROM, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was, and there was like the whole set of them. Yeah. And one of the DVDs was this index for the rest of the DVDs. So it would right. tell you which one to stick in and which side. Uh, but every once in a while, we'd be like, did we do an article about that? Or like, do we have, what was that article? And so I would, we would use the, our own DVD set. <laughs> so we had a couple of copies. I would take out the DVD and I would- Now, start. did you have a wonderful library there of, uh, of all the Mad Magazines all laid out? We we used the DVD-ROMs more because it was easier to access them. No, but I mean, what, was it there, the physical library? Yeah, and not only do we have that, but D, we were part of DC Comics. So every week, everybody who worked, including the interns, got what was called The Brick, which was every comic book, graphic novel that DC printed rubber banded, and they would drop it on your desk. And so it's Superman and Batman. And so you get all these comic books. And so I would just take them home. I was like, this is amazing. I'm getting 50 free comic books a week. This is a dream. Uh, the editors had been there for years. And there's only so many comic books you could store in your house <laughs> before somebody you live with is like, what the right. fuck is going on? So they would go through and they would keep what they wanted, like maybe one or two issues, but the rest would go in the stock room. So there was a stock room filled with thousands of comic books. And they would tell us as interns, like, bring a bag, take anything you want. And so it was like Christmas. It was unbelievable. You're a big comic book guy? I loved comic books, yeah. And the office was still like very much DC at its best. They had giant statues of Superman and a phone booth that you could take a picture in and Batman. So it was really, really cool. And Mad Magazine had all that DC stuff in there? Yeah. Or were you, were you actually in the offices of DC? We were different floors. So if I took the elevator up, I would be in Metropolis. And then one more floor was Gotham. And we were the <laughs> Mad floor. So we had this Mad art gallery. Um, and then we had... Every Mad Magazine, so they, I would get free issues from like India, like all the different c- countries. Now, you, uh, were you a huge Mad fan before you worked at Mad? Yeah, so my dad lived uh, with my grandparents in a tiny Brooklyn apartment. Uh, my dad would use his allowance to buy Mad Magazines, so there was a cardboard box filled with old Mad Magazines referencing TV shows I had never heard of. But anytime I visited my grandparents, I would sneak off into the closet and get to read Mad. I had no idea what I was reading most and of the time. And you're still in the closet. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Along with some Which, old gri- yellowing mad magazines. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's, I would have never, see, this is the thing about overachievers versus fuck-ups, <laughs> is I would have never considered that there were even internships possible 
Right. Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine right. was a, a level beyond anything we could aspire yeah. to. See? But once you like you're you're just a schmuck from New York and you right. apply and get into Harvard, then you go, Oh, I guess I can apprentice on on, <laughs> on the space shuttle if I want, right? You well, just, I was a total flyer. I literally just sent it off having done stand up one time, not not really written that much comedy. It's just been hey, if you want me, I, I would love it. I wrote a whole you know, you have to write a whole letter and explain my relationship with mad and you know growing up you are really good at writing letters to why people should hire you (laughs) you could probably write a letter to tell her right now and replace (laughs) me tonight (laughs) dear tell have you heard about the holocaust we didn't survive to not be in that show <laughs> so how long are you in uh, are you in uh, mad is an important word to you isn't well, it well so that's the funny thing is they sell all these shirts that just say mad and i'm like i already have that in my closet <laughs> um i mean i'm in the show for at least another year so i'm i'm here for for a bit and are you loving it it's been really really fun you've never been in, in one show with no tour sitting down have you it's been weird to not be on the road. It's it's mostly I'm mostly here the whole time now. And you got your own dressing room? I have my own dressing room. How's your parking? Because that's a big deal. I know. In the variety arts world. There's a real hierarchy. <laughs> well, I've told you, it's all Bob Dylan cared about. He thought I had the <laughs> best parking he'd ever seen. Nice. Because <laughs> I am uh, I, I I park uh Four steps from my dressing room. Oh, that's the dream. It is. It is the dream. I, they don't let any of our, us park right by the dressing room. The only car that's allowed there is Terry Fader's. And I really do want to just start leaving notes. Just leave notes <laughs> in his windshield, unsigned. Just is, where, send him on a quest. Where's Terry Fader playing? He's playing at I, the Staten Island. It's basically a conference room that they convert into this like sort of theater uh-huh. thing. Um, he's on vacation now, but I think he's- How does he too. get to park there then? That's like he, she, he does, shouldn't have more clout than you, should he? I He's playing it. a smaller theater, right? Yeah, that's what I said. Fuck that. Yeah, depends my agent now. <laughs> <laughs> so how far do you have to park away? Uh, it's like a two-minute walk. I park in the parking structure and then like walk over. And you have to walk through the casino? No, there's a way to walk outside, so I don't have to. That that was the first lesson. Was to, the first couple of days, like this is cool. I'm walking through the casino, and then I was like, no, I'm gonna go through the back. <laughs> but it's it's cool because like the. The Cirque du Soleil, it's Cirque du Soleil's show, but it's through the works, which is a company they acquired like right before the pandemic. And they're the guys that did the illusionists and mm. a bunch of other things. So I had done sort of shows of that scale with them through the illusionists. Um, so it was very cool to sort of that, that part of the show I understood of like the scale and it's fun coming up an elevator. It's pretty, it's definitely different than I mean, being you in a basement. You appear in an elevator. Yeah, and the, and it's made by there's the two main elevator companies are Otis and Schindler, and I was like, I really don't want my entrance to be on Schindler's lift. Yeah. <laughs> that that that's where we came. my grandparents survived just so I can get crushed by Schindler's lift. <laughs> so wh- who was made by Schindler? Otis, thank you. <laughs> so you arrive up in an elevator? Yeah, my dream is to come from the sky, uh-huh. and the the oh, Piff Piff does that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Piff, as a dragon, Piff flies in. Yeah, he enters um, on his show. Because we have acrobats who are flying everywhere. And I'm like, why can't I like, Why can't I do something fun? But it all stems back from The Illusionist. We did, uh, the first time I ever did it, we were in Perth, um, which is uh, super fun. They have all the quackas and stuff. I'm doing my act. And then right after me is James Moore, a uh, great illusionist. And they had shipped over this train, this like steam train. And it's an appearing train. It's not one of James's trick. They just shipped it over like, we're going to make a big train appear. We promised a big appearance. We got this train thing. And they would make it appear, but it would happen. It was a kabuki drop, boom, train. It happened really fast. I think the audience couldn't really register what was going on. 
with the train. They would just go, is that a fucking train? And then it's a blackout. It's too late. And it's, you don't get to see that it's three-dimensional. For all you know, it's a photograph of a, a giant photograph of a train. And James was getting a little despondent because they kept coming in and saying, we need more energy, James. We need more energy. You're not selling it. That's why the audience isn't reacting. And we shared a dressing room. I was like, James, it's not, I don't think it's you. I think it's just the trick in general. They're a little bit confused. So like, I'll help you out. Um, the, the two parts of it is one thing I told I is I told him just oversell it one night, go full tilt, like be obnoxious, like go as far as you can, like selling the shit out of this train. And the one night he decides to do that, the kabuki gets stuck, so he's like really moving his arms and like pointing, and it's like Franz Harari almost like now, <laughs> nothing happens. There's just darkness, <laughs> and then a blackout, and a lone Australian voice from the balcony just going, "What the fuck?" <laughs> darkness and it was the greatest thing i've ever seen and i kept trying to help james so in my rant i would say what do you what does it take to get a standing ovation you need me to make a fucking train appear so it's like seated in their head yeah sure and the dream that they never let me do was i wanted to be in the train when it appeared and i would just lean out and go choo choo motherfuckers blackout <laughs> and so that was my hope was to figure out some kind of moment in Mad Apple where I'm coming out of the sky and it's my my choo choo <laughs> motherfuckers moment there you go i bet that train's for sale I'm sure they have it still. <laughs> it can be a subway train. Just get it. I don't know. We've, we've had a lot of Holocaust discussion. I don't know. A Jew in a train is the best image. <laughs> Wait, you have a subway in your show. We have. We do have the subway the screens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can make a subway up here. That would be cool. Yeah. I could come out, then a homeless guy, then a pizza rat. <laughs> I mean, choo-choo motherfucker doesn't help the subway thing <laughs> per se. But <laughs> We're going express, motherfuckers. Boom. <laughs> President assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be good to have you in Vegas for a while. I'm excited. It's and how was, uh, how was your uh, fiance uh, adjusting to, uh, to the desert? It's good. She started taking circus classes, so she's going full native. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> nice. She's doing the Lyra. It's, it's great. It over at the circus center? It's, I think it's at a different one, oh, okay. uh, but it's, yeah, she's doing the hoop stuff. Well, there is that uh, Samba Latte uh, uh, yeah, coffee circus, place yeah. that's right near the circus place. If you go in there, there are more uh, four foot ten, perfectly <laughs> fit women eating nothing that right. can do one-arm push-ups and big guys from some Eastern European country <laughs> would, would they look like Grey's Anatomy. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the coffee place to go to. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I love being, being, basically being in the circus has been great. Um, this, this show, we sort of did a version of the illusions called the unbelievables, which was more variety arts focused. And my favorite moment was our opening night, right before opening night, we had a sand artist named Yulia. Um, and she would do this, like there's an overhead camera and she would make the paintings out of the sand and we're at the after party. And it's all, which you know, is pretty easy to fake but go ahead that's right exactly. <laughs> i was like yeah why, why is she doing it every day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. one time well, one you have to bring the sand print. no have someone else do it one that's time right, exactly <laughs> yeah we could pay we could pay a dancer a hundred bucks <laughs> they're the greatest sand artist so we uh, yeah exactly we perfect <laughs> bare hands just it's the wrong hand it's just a very big man hand but it's a tiny girl doing it you're like what uh, we were at the opening night, and it's, it's the exact thing of like short, fit girls, huge guys. Yulia, the sand artist, comes over and she goes, "I know, I know. We said not to touch each other's prop, but somebody put the penis in my sand." Because <laughs> everybody who had walked over and saw the sand was like, "I'm gonna draw a little penis." 
So she she gets out and right before the camera turned on, she was about to reveal just a bunch of penises to the crowd of children. And she would, there was a quick wipe. So she's like, no more penises in this set. <laughs> now, they would draw the penis. They wouldn't actually lay their penis in there. And- I think an impression would have been nice. Much nicer. That would have been draw cool, like yeah. A, like, a dead, like a dead body chalk line, you know? Exactly- I, bet, I bet if you're, a, if you're a sand artist, the two things you hate are pictures of penises and cats. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who is letting their cat into my sandbox? <laughs> I, I mean, I did an RV park. I was on the road and it was actually a really great gig. They had a circus night at the RV park and they wanted a sand artist and a Jewish comedian magician as you do in Goshen, Indiana. (laughs) And he starts doing the sand thing. I had toured with Julius. I thought, I had seen most of it. And the first picture is like Jesus on the cross. The next one is like the military like flag one. I'm like, I am fucked. (laughs) This is not the lead up I need because I'm about to hold a Bible that shoots smoke out of the top. (laughs) So this is going to be, so thankfully I walked out and just go, huh, a Jew, you met one. And then everyone was like, all right, we're good. (laughs) So it ended up, and then I was doing crowd work with the CEO who did not own an RV. And that became the whole show of you own the RV company. How do you not have an RV that feels like it should be part of the thing? Yeah. Uh, So it ends up being a really fun gig. Thank God. I don't know. Sand artists. What kind of person becomes a sand artist? They were desperate. Yeah. desperate. (laughs) They're all like Ukrainian Russians. That was like the main Ukrainians. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now don't say Ukrainian Russian. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, some are Russian, some are Ukrainian. Okay, Ukrainian good. ones do sand art, but then the Russians take half of their campus. <laughs> so it's, it's tougher. It's tougher to do sand art while somebody's actively trying to take half of, of your board. Slowly but surely, they're taking some sand back, but it's like literally like a grain at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was times where Julius Camera didn't work, and that was my favorite version of the act. Because you're just watching a girl really content playing with sand. <laughs> you can't see what she's doing, so she's just going for it. And then there was a point where they would just send me on stage. I'm like, do you want me to narrate what she's doing? <laughs> oh, man. If you could see the Sydney Opera House she made out of sand, you would be impressed. I got to tell you, as the only person here who could see it, worth the money. <laughs> so I would just like narrate uh, But uh, sand artist is kind of a new thing, isn't it? I guess it's invented by overhead cameras. It's... Well, yeah, pre-overhead cameras, you can't do it. Yeah. No, they did. They did. They used to oh, have mirrors. They had mirrors. Oh, yeah. They would angle a mirror over the top of it. But angling a mirror over the top of it doesn't work because you don't have the right angles in the audience. No, no. In the audience, you can't, if you're sitting on the sides, you're up, you can't see it. And then you need a really big Because we tried I read about it in a book and I thought they had done it with mirrors. Yeah, we tried. We've we've tried to do stuff with mirrors like that. I've had all sorts of Mm -hmm. ideas and you just can't lay it out where you can get the audience to be able to see at good angles. I mean, if you had a very long, thin... uh, Thin box, sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, a long thin theater. You'd probably be uh, okay. When I was in the Tropicana in the Follies Brigade, they did a dance number with a Busby Berkey part where yeah. the big mirror came. Yeah, but it's angly, as we say in right. the magic biz. Yeah, it's angly. And it's touring angly. with a giant mirror sounds awful. Yeah. Imagine the bad luck if you break that giant <laughs> mirror. That's like at least forty-nine years, right? It's seven squared. Yeah, <laughs> seven squared bad luck. Yeah, yeah. Sand art. I, I don't think I've seen enough sand art acts. Now, <laughs> see, oh, oh, by the way, uh, since you, you've seen enough sand art acts, <laughs> to be clear. Uh, yeah, it seems like the kind of thing I should hate, but I'm not feeling it. 
the no. best ones kind of tell a story. So right, like, like the, the history of Poland was the one that I, <laughs> I it was. What do they just I'll draw a swastika in the yeah. sand and then wipe it out? <laughs> that one you, you just buy that routine off of Amazon. The history of Poland sand art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just get you started at birthday parties. That I would do the Billy the Mime version of sand art. <laughs> oh, would be amazing. Billy the Mime. It's wide open. It's wide oh, open, man. But no one funny has done sand art. It fortunately requires. <laughs> <laughs> it requires skill, right? A little bit of skill. I, I mean, tried. if you can draw, like the whole thing was I can't she can't draw. She was an artist, and so like once, because they made her do her final image, basically had to be the venue each time. So she would have to do Sydney Opera House, or she'd have to do Hamer Hall, or you know whatever the theater looked like. But then we got to the Crown at Perth, which is just a black box. Yeah. <laughs> so they're the like, do saying. the Sydney Opera House. Go back to the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> <laughs> but that was not in her repertoire. So she would she would like sketch it out, and you just practice it. If you, pra- I think, if you practice it enough, you can kind of. Well, there's those dipshits who do the. Um the painting, speed paint, speed yes. painting. I those hacks I hate. Now see, this is what. Do you ever see Morris Katz though, the old Catskills guy? No, he was the Catskills god. Morris Katz, speed painter, and he sold a shit ton of shitty paintings. <laughs> we owned one. My parents bought one at Kutcher's. That like it was a tennis match. Um, but that was his whole thing. You got schmear here, schmear there. But there's there's the, those those dipshits that do like Hendrix. Oh, and then they turn it and upside turn down. It turn it upside down. You know the one that I saw that was great, though. I saw somebody do one. And those are pre- they have they have an outline before. Yeah, you can right, write on exactly. pencil. Yeah, I saw one done with uh, a black, uh, a, a black canvas with glue, and you didn't know what he was doing. You just saw him drawn away, and then at the end, he took a bucket of glitter and threw it on it, and he flipped it over, and it was the Eiffel Tower, and it was it was beautiful. It's a nice ending, which I think they glitter don't usually have as a good ending. Yeah, well, the flipping over is always the end. Yeah, but do I'm trying the- to be inspired and draw Hendrix. I can't draw. Oh, wait a minute. That's how they used to persecute gay people in the South, as they would cover you with glue. Yeah, throw <laughs> glitter and then on. They you. would dump a bucket of glitter <laughs> on you and yeah. make you walk around. Yeah. Used to be tar and feathers. Big yeah. glue and glitter. Glitter is worse because you can never remove it. You think tar is hard to get rid of. <laughs> glitter will stay with you for the rest of your life. You think tar is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Try glitter. Try glitter. Yeah, there, there hasn't been a funny... Um, uh, you know, it's just... Billy the Mime is the greatest thing ever. Oh, I love yeah. that. The greatest thing ever. And the idea of doing that... Because the chalk talks... <clears throat> Very emotional subject. <laughs> chalk, chalk talks were a very, very big thing. You know, they would do um, in vaudeville. Hmm. A guy would have a blackboard, and he would be drawing with chalk. But I'm sorry, African American. He would be drawing with chalk and telling a story, and you know, one thing would turn into another. And chalk talk was a whole thing at that time. But it seems like chalk talks could be funny, and they could, they're often religious, and you know, you draw Jesus and that kind of stuff. I'm looking at no one understands what I mean by chalk. No, no, talk. I like it. <laughs> yeah, because they have their well, like you YouTube do the dry erase talk. They're, like there's YouTube videos where you can you yeah. see them animating it and and doing it, like on a whiteboard as you. Yeah. But I think the sand art, someone could, someone's going to kill someone's the gonna sand art. Someone's going to kill the yeah. sand art. Somebody's gave out somebody there. a whole career. <laughs> someone listening at home, some 14-year-old who wants to be Can't be me, because if I get nervous, my hands get sweaty. <laughs> that'd be really, uh, that'd be gross. <laughs> and it's like special sand, too. You have to get the right kind of sand. And like, it was very specific. What? Special sand? Because it has to be like a certain fine oh, grain that doesn't clump. This is getting hard now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess none of us are going to do it. Nah, that, now that it has right. to be special sand, we're out. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally sold on the glitter thing, so I'm sticking there. <laughs> yeah, you can do it with glitter. glitter. Paint's good. Yeah. Glitter and paint's good. Yeah, glitter. Boy, 
the guy who does the the, the glitter painting. Oh he's just, man, he's going to be His gritty suitcases. all the time. <laughs> oh, I used to do a bit of my my close up set where I had a confetti gun, and so I would shoot that and it would get everywhere. And then I had a miniature vacuum and I would clean up after myself. <laughs> It was great. And then I realized they sell bachelorette versions, so I would just subtly use that. So all the, there were little tiny penises. Oh, really? And so I would just, if I missed, there would just be a couple of glitter penises on their table. <laughs> and for some my fiance found one recently near my toilet in Vegas. So that thing has managed. Those <laughs> Stuck things in your ass stay, for stay years. around you for should a very write, long time. You should write the Reader's Digest about your little penis that followed you. We thought it was lost, and then six <laughs> months later, somehow made its way across the country. That sounds like a lovely children's story. The little penis that could. <laughs> Harrison, thank you. And they can they, people can go see you at, uh, at uh, Mad Apple. Yeah, Mad Apple. We're Fridays through uh, Tuesdays. Two shows a night, 7 and 9.30, madapplelv.com. Two, two shows a night. That's 10 shows a week. Not a bad gig. Not bad at all. And you can follow me at Harrison Comedy or HarrisonGreenbaum.com. You own both of those. Oh, yeah. As well as the uh, menu for Nevermind. (laughs) 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 That was Ben Sunday School. (laughs) (laughs) Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. (laughs) It's like uh, Jade. You know, works with Biff, the Magic Dragon. Yes. We went into, we did the Today Show like a week after they had done the Today Show. And they're over the corner, the little feathers from her boa. <laughs> that were still there. Still her yep. mark of the Today Show. <laughs> you know, we love you. Hey, Matt Donnelly, you got anybody to thank? Oh, do I? <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Would I? Would I? And how? Thanks go out to all the people who support us over at patreon.com slash penfabulous. Members of our congregation like Placida Scott, Damian Martin, Adam Luce is happy to hear Teller is on the mend. Timo Tehoff, Mark Pickenheim, Scott Kelly, Kelly M, Adam Burzens, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Ross Devereaux, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Impossibilities Magic Show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Michael Torbay, Ilan Lee, Jacob McCulley, Nicole Martin, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Nick Hemsing, Music Man, No Thank You Daddy, Rachel Hawkins, Jake Schneider, Pete Penn Says, We're the Same Guy, Hoke, Kelly McCauley, Robin Garnett, Tom and Julie Lynn. Perrin married us eight years ago, but we're not stalking him. Ovi Dimitrian Jr. Jeremy R22. Winter Weirkowski. Kristen Kladick. Michael Cohen. Dr. Scoop Little. Joe Mastrangelo. Jeremiah Jenkins. Matt, the Mindler upcoming shows at mindnoodler.com, including shows at foolerslive.com. I threw that last one in myself. Jesse Miller, Alexander Hoffman, Danny Olwine, Shane Magruder, Steve Volcano, Jim, the now 24-yearly performances Naked Magician, Scooped Mids, and Paul McBride. Thank you all so much. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. 
any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 